Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to this bonus TLS long read produced by NOAA, News Over Audio. If you'd like to listen to more audio articles from the TLS, you can do so on the TLS website or the News Over Audio app. Narrated by NOAA. Listen to more of the world's best journalism on the NOAA app or at newsoveraudio.com. You are listening to the TLS. This is His Biggest Role, The Improbable Rise of Vladimir Zelensky by Anna Reed from the issue of November 11th, 2022. Anna Reed is the author of Borderland, A Journey Through the History of Ukraine. An updated edition has just been released. She is working on a book about the Allied intervention into the Russian Civil War. In a brightly lit television studio, the president of Ukraine, Vazo Holobrodko, is taking questions from the audience. The topic is high-level corruption. It isn't going well for him. The problem is endemic, and he doesn't have answers. His head spins, the lights turn blood red, and in strides a tall, bearded figure in a fur hat. It is Ivan the Terrible. To bring the boyars to heel, Ivan growls. Executions are not enough. He must impale, chop off hands, pour molten lead down throats. Holoborodko demurs. It's not the 16th century, and he's not a Russian czar. He's the president of a democratic Ukraine. Ivan shakes his head. So you still suffer under the Poles and Lithuanians. Be patient, blood brother. We will save you soon. Holoborodko tells him that Ukraine doesn't need saving, that it is joining Europe. Ivan is astounded. What, Europe? We're Slavs, blood brothers. Holoborodko gets testy. There you go again, talking about blood. You go your way, we'll go ours. Let's meet again for a chat in 300 years. 
Ivan flies into a fury and hits Holobrodko over the head with his mace. We last see him crooning over the president's inert body. What do you mean you are not with us? Who are you with? The scene is from the closing episode of the first series of Servant of the People, the TV show in which Ukraine's actual leader, Volodymyr Zelensky, famously starred as a history teacher elevated to the presidency after the oligarchs, who pull the strings behind the scenes, amuse themselves by standing back and letting the voters' choice win. Ivan the Terrible is one of a series of historical figures who appear at critical moments to give the president advice, sometimes good, sometimes bad. The show was first broadcast in 2015, the year after Russia took its first bites out of Ukraine, occupying Crimea and, semi-indirectly, eastern Donbass. In February 2022, Russia attacked again, in much greater force, and currently occupies about 20% of the country, though at the time of writing, less every day. Zelensky, since 2019 the president for real, finds himself locked in a life-and-death struggle with Ivan's equally Ukraine-obsessed successor, Vladimir Putin. How he got there and how he is doing in the role are the subjects of these quick-fire biographies. Zelensky was born in 1978, making him a member of what the political scientists Olga Onuk and Henry E. Hale call in the Zelensky effect the independence generation, people old enough to remember the Soviet Union, but young enough to have adapted to life after it and to have been citizens of Ukraine all their adult lives. His hometown was not handsome Kiev, languorous Odessa, or postcard-pretty Lviv, but Krivirich, a smoggy, Russian-speaking, steel-making city in the southeast. His life started taking shape at the city's university, where his father taught cybernetics and where he was supposed to be studying law, but spent most of his time working on skits and songs with a group of friends. The group's rise, described in detail by Stephen Derricks in Zelensky, Ukraine's President and His Country, took place during what in retrospect feels like the post-Soviet space's golden window, after hyperinflation but before Putin started beating the Russian nationalist drum. Called Kivatal 95 after the city center district where Zelensky's family lived, it got its break in 1998, when it was picked up for the finals of a Moscow-based talent contest, the Club of the Cheery and Inventive, or KVN. For the next four years, the group competed in the contest between tours to the Russian and Ukrainian deep provinces. But by 2003, its relationship with KVN, like that between Kiev and Moscow, was becoming strained. Most of the money it made was going to KVN's owner, a Simon Cowell-esque figure known as Your Majesty. And the group had never felt at home in Moscow. Not on a door, Zelensky told an interviewer later on, and they don't open. Not even your neighbors. The crunch came when His Majesty, alert to the changing mood in the Kremlin, started deleting Kvartal 95's edgier jokes, and in 2003, the troop returned to Kiev. Financially, the move back to Ukraine was risky because it distanced Kvartal from the large Russian entertainment market. It also thrust Zelensky into the crocodile pit of Ukraine's business and political worlds, since all the major television stations were owned by oligarchs. Together with the co-owners of his production company, his old friends and flatmates Sarai and Boris Sheffer, he signed with one of the largest channels, Inter, for a new show, 
to be called Kevartal by night. 10% political satire, 90% jokes about everyday life, it took off, and with Inter paying $40,000 per episode, Zelensky finally started making money. In 2006, he won the local version of Strictly, Torador jacket for Ravel's bolero, fuchsia Elvis suit for blue suede shoes, and took his young family on holiday abroad for the first time. In 2008, his production company had another success with The In-Laws, a beady social comedy in which two elderly couples, one rural, one urban, compete for the attention of their only grandchild. And in the same year, Inter's owner bought 50% of Kvartal's shares for a reported $12 million. By the time Zelensky needed to declare his assets to run for the presidency, they included flats in Kiev, Yalta, and London. They also included, as the Ukrainian journalist and television presenter Serhii Rodenko points out in Zelensky, a biography, an undeclared Tuscan seaside villa, bought for 3.8 million euros. When he decided to go into politics is unclear. On the face of it, it was an absurd idea. How could a man whose best-known sketch involved him pretending to play the piano with his penis possibly be president? And with Putin endlessly telling the world that Ukraine was a joke country, why elect a clown? More critically, for a long time he had appeared to be politically agnostic, if not pro-Russian. During the Orange Revolution in 2004, which reversed a Kremlin-rigged election, he did not take a public stand. In 2011, he performed at the Kremlin-backed, grotesquely corrupt President Viktor Yanukovych's 61st birthday party, and through the passionate masked protest winner of 2013 through 14, he made jokes about police brutality, but again did not clearly speak out. This was in contrast to other celebrities who regularly appeared on the protest camp's main stage. In April 2014, remarkably, Kvartal toured Donbass, while Russian-backed thugs were taking over the region's police stations and town halls, and even performed in the town of Gorlovka, on the same day as a member of the local council was abducted and killed. From the summer of that year, however, Zelensky started performing for soldiers at the front, and the experience politicized him. I've always regarded myself as a Ukrainian national, Derek's quotes him telling a journalist. But never have I felt like a Ukrainian deep inside. I always wanted to be a citizen of the world, able to live and work anywhere. Now the citizens of Ukraine have become truly Ukrainians. His new seriousness came through the following years with the first series of Servant of the People. Despite being conceived while fierce battles were going on in Donbass, it hardly mentions Russia. Instead, its message is that Ukraine itself needs moral regeneration, not just at the top, but in the behavior and values of every individual, rich or poor. As Onuk and Hale detail, its funniest and most painful episodes are the ones that show graft permeating the whole of society. In one, the teacher-turned-president, Vazo Holobrodko, tries to work out why, despite vast government spending, the roads are still riddled with potholes. A cascade of phone calls, from the smooth minister of infrastructure down to a female road worker in a headscarf and fluorescent jerkin, shows each person in the chain adding 10% to the costs. Even the woman in the headscarf is selling buckets of gravel on the side. Another running gag is how the president's relatives grab freebies on the back of their new status. 
His father fills the family flat with nouveau riche tat. Karyatids, what are karyatids? Gold-plated? Bring them in. And his sister trips out of a designer store garlanded with shopping bags. Sales everywhere, 100% off. Both are genuinely flabbergasted when Holobrodko forces them to return the loot, and the resulting rift takes the whole series to heal. With its snappy lines, on-the-nose message, and warm heart, the show was an immediate hit, and journalists started asking Zelensky if he would like to be president for real. The first sign that he might came at the end of 2017, when he took over a shell political party and renamed it Servant of the People. With elections due in the spring of 2019, for the next 12 months, he kept the public guessing, dropping hints to the media and pushing his broad theme, unity around democratic values rather than ethnicity, via the final series of the television show Servant of the People. On December 31, 2018, he finally announced his candidacy, live in the middle of Kvartel's annual New Year's Eve special. Speaking Ukrainian instead of his usual Russian, he apologized for the break and told viewers that they each had a choice of paths to carry on living as badly as we do now, to go abroad, or to stay and try to change the country. He had chosen the third course and was running for president. Four months later, he won in a countrywide landslide, with the incumbent's efforts to paint him as a pro-Russian, drug-using puppet of Ihor Kolomoski, the oligarch behind the channel that aired Servant of the People, overwhelmed by the voters' desire for change. Zelensky was least popular, Onuk and Hale remind us, among the Ukrainian-language cultural establishment and a subset of Western Ukrainians now eating their words. In July 2019, parliamentary elections sealed his victory when servant-of-the-people candidates, most of them in their 30s and political novices, took a clear majority of seats. The defining moment of Zelensky's presidency, of course, is now, and he is playing the war leader role superbly. Critically, in the February invasion's first nerve-wracking weeks, he stayed in Kiev, even when it seemed as though the city was about to fall. Had he left, as the diplomatic corps expected him to, the map might look very different. He was also instrumental in rallying Western support, initially in a series of video addresses to parliaments. The House of Commons got a paraphrase of, We shall fight on the beaches, while Congress heard his version of, I have a dream, of weapons systems. His Jewish heritage has been the best possible rebuke to Putin's nonsensical call for Ukraine's denazification. Largely thanks to his courage and charisma, the West's aid to Ukraine has so far been generous, and its sanctions against Russia have been tough, despite Putin's nuclear threats and closure of the gas taps. Domestically, the president's support is sky-high, as is that for the war itself. Almost 9 in 10 Ukrainians say they want to liberate all Ukrainian territory, including Crimea, and almost as many say they expect to actually do so. At the time of writing, with the Russian army on the retreat, this looks less like fantasy than it did. The big question regarding Zelensky is what kind of leader he will make after the war ends, or, as Ukrainians say, when victory is won. Judging by his record before February, the honest answer is patchy. Best on his missteps are Derek's, the Dutch journalist, who previously reported from Kiev, and Rodenko, whose book was first published in Ukrainian in 2021, 
under the title Zelensky, without makeup. Worrying from the start was the new president's reliance on old friends and colleagues. Yulia Mendel, Zelensky's press secretary from 2019 to 2021, admits in her positively slanted memoir, The Fight of Our Lives, My Time with Zelensky, Ukraine's Battle for Democracy, and What It Means for the World, that more than 30 people who used to have some kind of position in Kvartal 95 later became members of parliament, representatives of the president's office, or heads of departments, including the Security Service of Ukraine. This last went to Kvartal's in-house lawyer and accountant. The need for loyalty was understandable, and the voters had asked for new faces, but it didn't sit well with promises to end cronyism. A left-field road bump, four months into office, was the White House's release, during the Trump impeachment proceedings, of the transcript of a phone call in which the U.S. president asked him to dig dirt on Hunter Biden, the troubled son of Joe and non-executive director of a Ukrainian gas company. Zelensky had been obsequious and, though the kerfuffle passed, he was left looking undignified. Next came COVID, which caused 40% fewer excess deaths per head than in Russia, but hammered the economy. October 2020 saw a constitutional crisis when the notoriously old guard Constitutional Court ruled that the head of the chief corruption-fighting agency should stand down and a computerized asset declaration system covering 4 million public servants should be closed. Washington, Brussels, and the IMF all protested and the agency head and asset declaration system remained in place. But so did the judges. The year's other scandals were Wagnergate, the calling off of a sting operation to entrap Russian mercenaries, and the emergence of a video that appeared to show the brother of Zelensky's chief of staff selling government jobs. No proceedings followed. The president dismissed the brother as just a chatterbox. By 2021, Zelensky had lost control of Parliament. In the first year of his presidency, he had used his majority to push through a raft of reforms, among them more powers for local government and the end of immunity from prosecution for MPs. Now he started using the National Security and Defense Council to issue corruption-busting measures by decree. The council's shutdown of three Kremlin propaganda channels was long overdue, as was the arrest of a longtime Putin confidant and fixer, the politician Viktor Medvedchuk. Harder to justify and criticized abroad was a barrage of criminal charges against Petro Poroshenko, the confectionery magnate whom Zelensky had ousted from the presidency in 2019. Autumn brought a depressing sense of deja vu when a mystery gunman shot at the president's business partner turned aide, Sarai Sheffer. The case has not been solved, and the Pandora Papers revealed that Zelensky co-owned a network of shell companies registered in the British Virgin Islands, Cyprus, and Belize. What Onuk and Hale call patronalism seemed to be alive and well, and the president's popularity ratings slumped to a disillusion 25 to 30 percent. Since Russia's new invasion, Ukraine's never-dull politics have been suspended. Legislation is only put to parliament if pre-agreed, and television stations are centrally coordinated. The oligarchs have gone quiet, as have Zelensky's political rivals. What happens when normal service resumes will be interesting. Ukrainians scoff at the idea that he might grow too fond of his wartime powers. The people have flexed their muscles before, and he wouldn't let them. 
nor does he seem like the power-grabbing type. Journalists who have interviewed him say that he really does come across like the honest everyman of Servant of the People, unpompous and likable. But however he goes about it, the transition to peace will be hard. A modus vivendi of some sort with Russia will have to be sold to the public. And there will be a ruined economy to stabilize and restore, a task requiring superhuman management skills. For Western financial aid to keep coming, it must not be stolen, which, with Ukraine sitting between Zambia and Gabon in Transparency International Corruption Perceptions Index, is far from a given. The books are a mixed bunch. Onuk inhales the Zelensky effect, soft pedals the president's pre-war blunders, but is refreshingly data-driven, 47 pages of graphs and tables, and convincing on why his brand of Ukrainianness, emphasizing civic duty, the importance of Ukraine's diversity, and the common quotidian experiences that bound Ukrainians together, has such appeal. Derek's Zelensky similarly interweaves the president's life with the country's core since independence, and is balanced and clear. The best bits of Mendel's short The Fight of Our Lives are the personal ones, in particular her brave decision in her final year of graduate school to expose widespread bribe-taking in Ukraine's universities. Her supervisor refused to read her doctoral dissertation until it was larded with the requisite brown envelope. I watched as my esteemed professor thumbed through the pages. My face turned red with shame. But I'll never forget what he said when he found what he was looking for. Now I see it. Your work is good. But on her time in the president's office, she is disappointingly bland. And on Zelensky himself, her memoir borders on hero worship. Rudenko's muddled, ill-written Zelensky is tendentious in the opposite direction, a hatchet job with a few complimentary post-invasion pages tacked on. It is extremely hard, perhaps not advisable, to write with candor about one country's leader in the middle of an existential war, especially when the enemy twists your every word against you. These can be only partial and interim reports. Zelensky's extraordinary story has a long way to go. You have been listening to the TLS. This was His Biggest Role, The Improbable Rise of Volodymyr Zelensky by Anna Reed from the issue of November 11th, 2022. It was read by Adrian Walker for Noah. The article you just listened to was narrated by the team at Noah. Continue listening to more great journalism on the Noah app or by visiting newsoveraudio.com. <laughs>